If you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. Last night was pretty uh, highly charged. We're going to try something a little different tonight. I'm anticipating uh, the songs uh, to be played better tonight than they ever have been played. And maybe, uh, I just had this feeling there's gonna be more songs tonight than uh, we've ever played. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett! Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs the live pearl jam podcast experience and if you're tuning in for the first time welcome we are a podcast that focuses on pearl jams live catalog and live history obviously we know that shows are going on right now we got encore this weekend ohana encore is happening two shows who knows what's going to happen after the the last couple weekends so a lot in store and we're going to be talking about that at some point later on next week when the shows kind of finally wrap up we don't have any ohana discussion in this episode because this is happening before ohana regular ohana i suppose main do we call this one main set ohana i don't know but if this is main set ohana when next week is is ohana encore then uh uh there won't be any conversation about that because this recording is happening before then so we were hours before mere hours before right yeah we are literally on a time crunch here because we want to be able to to go and find some feeds and and be ready when the show begins we'll have coverage on that and we'll probably get to that like right after the encore stuff is is finished so don't don't you worry about that but today look there's going to be no lack of great content today because we are talking about a historic famous unforgettable show from randall's island everybody should know this one there are so many people that i've talked to just in my life and obviously it being a new york show i know so many people around the area that this was their first show and this was their first experience seeing pearl jam and this kind of cemented what would be a lifelong relationship for a lot of people that i've talked to so we're going to get into all that right now randy sobel over here john Farrar over there hello hi this is a this is 
I think there's a sizable group of the fan base that thinks this is the best show they've ever played still. I don't doubt that. Yeah. And look, a sizable group of the fan base comes from the Northeast. So there is a Regency bias always with with anything. And I, I think it happens with sports. And I think it does happen with with Pearl Jam. And and it's just that New York people are always seem to be the loudest and seem to have the most people attached to it. And we talked about this aspect before when things are in New York, you have surrounding cities that people that are in those cities or states like New Jersey, Connecticut, upstate New York, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, even Massachusetts can all come down to witness the event. And therefore, you kind of have a melting pot of Pearl Jam fans. So it's really a full northeast experience there and i think a lot of people the way that they talk about this show is kind of the way that they talk about the msg night two in in 98 as well definitely i think this is we we sometimes talk about oh you know a vault would this show would be great on a vault i think this is the most requested one that people ask for i think we've heard there's issues with the recording and whatever but this is an all-timer like i said it's just a just a classic night there's it's it's everything coming together like a lot of the stuff same stuff we talked about last week with the tension in the band the, the tension with Ticketmaster, the performances like this show has everything that you could want from a pearl jam show it's true it, it's just all there from the situation what was going on in the crowd and how four years before roskild happens this is this like was turning into something that could have been pretty bad and on top of that this show and maybe it really kind of the the idea of something like this maybe started at a soldier field. But this show is really a window into what Pearl Jam shows would become in the 2000s, especially after 2003, where shows are just anything, anything goes, anything can happen. Any amount of songs can be played uh, from any rarity to any album. This is maybe one of the first of those. It's up there with it's it's an epic epic show. You, you go and each year from the '90s kind of had one of these. You know, you had '93. You can go back to to Vegas or Seattle or whatever at the end of that tour. '94, of course, has Atlanta. '95 has Soldier Field, and this is the one for '96. Like it's you almost like we we almost can't do it justice. Like we would be here for four or five hours talking about every single song and every single performance. Oh, that's just amazing. Like you know, right? But every I mean, there's yeah, it's just, it's up there for a reason. This is a fantastic show. Yeah, and like we mentioned, the Regency bias is up there, and, and obviously when things happen in New York, and there was a night one to this, and and I think that yeah. needs to be addressed, and we'll kind of go into that in full, full, fuller detail in just a second, and we'll, we'll kind of pop in uh, a guest in, in a second, and he'll kind of, we, we did a profile for our Patreon for the Horizon Leg on uh, Patrick Bagel, people, Bagel, it's Bogle, but obviously we all call him Bagel, and we did his uh, Horizon Leg profile uh, this past week and we talked to him about all this stuff so we're going to pop him into the episode he was at both nights but the first one doesn't really get talked about because it just doesn't have a suitable recording and yet you talk to, to Patrick and we can fill it in right here and there was some magic going on that night from the weather situation to how crazy that crowd was Pearl Jam kind of seemed like a very lively band and kind of put them on this upper echelon sort of classic rock tier 
that people think of the the Led Zeppelins and uh, your Rolling Stones and and big name big arena bands would be on that just kind of feel like they're on that pedestal. So I want to throw it over to Patrick and one of the bites that we had from his profile episode that you can find on Patreon later this week. And uh, he's going to explain kind of some of the crazy things that happened in night one that made this feel bigger than what it was. Randall's Island, like, it's just like, it was all GA. So your choices were to go into this crazy mosh pit that I wanted no part of. I was like, that's just that's just crazy so we were hanging out and sitting back by um the sound cage just to to the left of like where uh brett eliason and the sound crew was uh, was set up to do the um all of the front of house sound or front of field sound for randall's island and um and it starts pouring rain but it didn't matter it wasn't like a bad rain it's not like everyone's like oh this is a bummer every time they would get like more intense on the songs it would rain harder and then when there was a breakdown where they would get into that slow build of a song it suddenly would just like turn into a drizzle and then as they picked up the pace all of a sudden it would start pouring it was so freakish by the time they get to not for you ed goes into this whole thing about you know how does the rain feel does that feel nice and then he's like goes into the speech about you know i think he says uh i have a direct line to god most rock stars do and then said something along the lines of um do you think sweet jane was written by a human being you know in reference to sweet jane lou reed and then they start jamming the hell out of not for you and it starts pouring again and we're all looking at each other like they're controlling the weather this is the craziest <laughs> thing in the world like the, it was like we were like is this happening like like if they play if they just play with intensity it rains if they mellow it out it softens up it was the strangest thing in the world and nobody cared everybody like you had 25 30,000 people just in total ecstasy of uh, enjoyment of what was going on yeah night night one again doesn't get talked about too much but i mean this whole situation with the rain and what was going on and not for you and addressing it like that's always i i think ed has said it best is that the moments that happen in these shows are the ones that you least expect and i think they're honestly in this show there are a lot more of them than what we we heard and witnessed uh for night one definitely just the culmination of like all these intangible things coming together. And we, we talked about the article last week, the Rolling Stone article, yep. and we'll get to that a little bit later. And that's one of the th- the big talking points from this. And I mean, I, the, I went back and read, you know, we, we had Karen from five horizons on the show a few weeks ago and she was there as well. And her review is still up on five horizons. And one thing that she talked about was, you know, talking about the crowd, like, people crowd surfing and being violent before the show even started like mm-hmm. they were just insane from the very beginning like before music even starts like there there are people crowd surfing and going over the barriers and stuff so the intensity and the atmosphere was set like from the very beginning they came out to something that was ready to boil over one of the interesting things in in that that piece that she wrote was about uh, a little bit of heightened security on night two am i right oh yeah oh yeah Evidently, one of the security guards had been shot in the forehead with a BB gun on night one. So, I don't know how that happens. But damn New Yorkers. Yeah, but they were evidently very, very tight and very kind of 
dickish on night two about getting letting people get away with stuff and letting people bring stuff in. So maybe contributed a little bit to the to the crowd. Yeah, I I think you know when when there's something in the air, there's something in the air, and you always yeah. kind of get this heightened sense of okay, uh, you know, it'll address that the traffic situation was pretty bad the night before, so a lot of people were might have been restless from that if they were going to both nights. Uh, you know, obviously, a lot of people that went to both are dealing with the ramifications from the first night and kind of getting tossed around in that pit or even being outside of it. And look, I've been to Randall's Island a couple of times. I used to go to warp tour there every year and uh, you don't come out of there the same person. It is a, it's a, it's a fucking hell of a event. Like it's just, yeah, yeah. it's a dirt clot is what it is. And, and I've been in pits there and granted, I don't think any of the pits that I had been in there for, for like rancid or dropkick Murphy's or suicide machines. I don't think any of them were anything like what you see in the video here. I think those were, you know, like 2003, 2004 warp tour. It's pretty tame around that time, but it's not, you know, before masks were were in, we were wearing masks. We were actually wearing uh, surgical masks at that at that show because there's so much dirt and dust and just filth that you take in and that you inhale that when you go home, you uh, I remember after the first work tour I went to, I had to call out of work the next day because I I couldn't go. I was I was sick, and I the next year I did. Uh, I, I did it again and made sure that I got like the next two days off because there was no way I, I like I could not function. It, it takes a lot out of you. So you add that in to just the madness that's happening from that night and how many people are just jam packed in there. And I think all those factors that kind of come into play make for some magic and some disaster too so uh, a little bit of everything okay why don't we let the show begin and we got a lot to talk about so hit right to it this is the way that ed makes it on stage he doesn't always address the crowd beforehand it's usually just get into a song and and in if if he says anything it's usually just a little bit of a good evening but when he addresses the crowd like this that's when you know things are might be a little bit different so he says, if you tried going home last night, it was a bitch getting out. Last night was highly charged, and we're going to try to do something a little different tonight. Anticipating songs to be played better than they've ever been played, and I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot more than we've ever played. So if that doesn't get you hyped in this crowd, that that crowd, I mean, he said it was highly charged the night before. How are they not highly charged after hearing that? We're getting more songs. You promise that you're going to play better okay, well, we got to do our part. How many times have Pearl Jam crowds been like, okay, it's kind of a, we're going to show you what we got sort of situation. And then the band picks up to where the crowd is. The The band is already setting this high bar. And now the crowd is picking up on those vibes and said, all right, well, here's our bar. And although they, they start off easier with sometimes, there's no Red Rock set to this. It goes pretty much right into what is a pretty normal Pearl Jam show. Yeah, he says they're going to try something different, and it's what, what's different? doesn't seem different. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess the different thing could be the No Jeremy involved later and uh, going into two encores and playing until they're done and, and not 
I don't know what a set list looked like for this, what a written set list looked like for this, but they're definitely, once you get to the end of the show, it's not planned. Like, they're flying off the seam of their pants a little bit. So I think that might have had something to do, instead of just being like, okay, well, sometimes in the go and the spin the black circle and the hell hell is something we've never done. No, obviously, that's not, not the case at all. Yeah, I, I love this sometimes to open. Only the fourth time they played it has a really cool ending. It's It really has that feel of like you get the feel that like it's rising and falling and it really does have kind of that wave feel that we talk about sometimes where, and again, it's 1996, we're going to talk about Jack. Just amazing performance. These first three songs, I thought Jack just playing out of his mind. Yeah, sometimes it's a really good appetizer into what the night is going to be. And, you know, you need to balance a lot of this night out. And thankfully, they kind of had that idea to begin with, and they kind of do that. But I think this was their their way of saying, instead of the first night coming out with the last exit, and apparently that was right from the get-go, you know, a, a, a madhouse. And I think that was this was their way of saying, okay, we're, we're starting with the first song off the new record that is a little bit what people have said to be different Pearl Jam at the time, knowing the, what the first three albums had as their lead-off song. And yeah, I, I like that outro too. I thought that they did a nice job extending that. It, yet, it still felt like the performance went kind of by in a flash. Especially when after this little section here, when you listen to Ghost in a Black Circle, Hell Hell, sometimes feels like it was, it was another show ago. Yeah, and it, oh my, just watching the bodies flying during Spin the Black Circle, you know, you you hear stories from this, and you know, Patrick Scott's stories told a bunch of great stories, but like, just to watch the the people just flying and getting thrown and oh god, going over the the barricade and like yeah, there's, there's it, it looks like there's fifty bouncers there in the front, like trying to keep everything straight. Like, just imagine them seeing that from the stage and. You know, we're going to get to, you know, Animal in a minute where it kind of comes to a head. But these first few songs, it's just like it's it's as intense as anything we've ever seen from them. Absolutely. And you kind of get this whole wide shot. And sometimes when you're watching, there are two different shots that are on YouTube. And sometimes when you're watching it, you don't see exactly what's going on in the crowd. You don't see like a massive mosh pit, but you will see out of nowhere a body just fly. And that's that's the eye-opening thing in all this. Yeah. And you see the bouncers pretty clearly, and you see like they are non. It's not like they are just standing in one place. It's one person gets thrown at them, and then they are off to to go and capture the next person. And I, I've crowd surfed before. I, I don't suspect you being a former crowd surfer at all. But no, I, n- I never never did. I've never. never I had never been thrown like that ever yeah it's just yeah. it's usually just kind of bouncing from one section to the next but and look I, I've I've done it at far tamer shows than this in far tamer situations I don't even know if I crowd surf when I was in Randall's Island it doesn't compare to what was happening here and I, I I'm sure you could say in other pits for metal bands and for uh, hardcore bands that you know, this was probably tame compared to that, but I don't know. Like this was yeah, pretty. Dude. This was pretty rough. I don't know. Like the the most. I, like, I was in a punk rock band. Like I've been to hardcore shows. I've I've been in the middle of it. The most violent show I've ever been to was Green Day. 
and in 1998 they played like a theater in Atlanta and it was it was nuts like people's feet at your head like constantly like just people getting ripped apart like not literally but clothes like it, just everyone grabbing at everything and it, I, I had that kind of feeling of watching this and being like yeah that's kind of what that was like just and just people just going crazy it's it's pretty uncontrollable and after a while you kind of have to take yourself out of the situation and how do you enjoy the music after that you can't you know, I, I'm somebody that I, I like to enjoy it from the rail. I like to enjoy it as close as humanly possible. Yeah. And if you're up there, you're putting yourself at major risk to get a boot to the head, to get uh, crushed it at, at the rail, to get, you know, bodies flying at you like that. I, I, like, I don't think that I would have been able to handle that situation. And obviously, there were people at this show that, that couldn't either. Uh, right. I, from the stories that you hear, there were people that were concussed. There were people that had to be taken away on an ambulance, I think, because they, they got yeah. so roughed up. Yeah. So that that's just kind of the lure of the show, though, because uh, look, it's Ghost, Spin the Black Circle, and Hell Hell are all complete bangers, and they're all high octane. They're all energetic. They're all just pushing that pace. And how can you not? Like, when you see 35,000 people, however many there were there, I think it was around 35,000, and you feel all that, like, yeah, that that entices you to create the circle pin, you know, and to kind of do things that maybe you wouldn't do at, at another show or maybe you wouldn't do at another Pearl Jam venue. But it uh, it definitely came to head uh, when, when Animal hits, and I, I would like to go to that. I know that the first three there in that section are really phenomenal and there's a lot of momentum. There's a lot of energy, but animal here's where the story does happen. And the crowd reaches the point of a complete turmoil. It's untamed, unrelentless. And Ed, you know, even at that time, give him a lot of credit for this. This isn't post Roskill. He's looking out and he sees something happening in the crowd. So they stop the song and they want this to get taken care of. Okay, stop for a second, sorry. Just right here, let's get this taken care of right here. Yeah, we got it, we're waiting, we're waiting. Uh, if you can give us a second, everybody on the sides and in the back, uh, you can go ahead and uh, smile and tell each other how nice it is that you're back there and not up here. It's like an ocean and it's like there's coral underneath and there's an endertoe and if you go down, sometimes you can't come up. Oh yeah, it's gonna take a minute. It's getting kind of serious. Can I get your attention here for just a second? I know it's difficult and I know there ain't no room to move. I swear to God, if somebody in the middle takes a step or five steps back, anything you can do, we need to release some space right here. Just everyone, just a little bit. I can see it, that's great. Just please. As soon as it's taken care of, you can be your spot. 
Well, come on out, little girl, darling. Just come on up. Is everyone okay? You're stepping on grass, not flesh, right? Ed says it there. He compares it to being caught in, in an undertow. And, you know, he's trying to kind of guide them a little bit. And, you know, I, I think this is before he got the idea to do the two, two step back thing. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. They, yeah. They, they because doing that he later doesn't on. quite have that charge of the crowd there. Like he, he doesn't have that control in later years where there's been major GA pits. He's been able to kind of do that and, and see that notice it right away. But here he's just kind of like, guys, stop fucking around. Yeah, and, and this comes from Fugazi. Like, Fugazi was famous for this in the late 80s, early 90s. Like, if they saw anyone from the stage, like, interfering with anyone else, they would stop and deal with it. And it's there's been a few in Pearl Jam's history where they've had to do this. There was one shit last week. Um, <laughs> but, that was more of a dehydration thing, yeah, I think. Not yeah, a kid but, thing. But this is one of the, like... It's justified. Like if they had not stopped this, like it somebody would have gotten hurt. It could have been very, very tragic. And they stopped for a long time. Like this is a we're talking about minutes where almost five minutes. Yeah, where they there he's just watching the crowd and just looking out for people. Like make sure no one's under you. Like. <laughs> Like, uh, yeah. look under your feet and make sure you're stepping on dirt and not a, not flesh. Yeah, yeah like, right. Ugh. Walk on ground and not flesh. Like, yeah. that's just, to even think to say something like that, I would have been like, all right, I'm, I'm headed to the back. Like, yeah. I don't want yeah. my flesh being walked on. Let's throw it here back to Patrick and get to witness what his experience was in this because he was kind of like, I'm I'm out. I I don't want anything to do with the with the mosh pit. So let's let's get the first hand of what was going on uh, during Animal. It's a miracle that the show actually, in some respects, got completed. Like if you watch the video, you can see at times people just getting pulled and tossed over the barricades, um, and that that from my understanding, again, way way back, and much more just like taking in the music, but. People were just going over the barricade like they were trash in the ocean that was just getting pushed by waves. I mean, it was just constant. There, There's that moment where Ed, he gets really pissed off. He gets belligerent and he calls everybody out. He's like, look, there's a loony bin over at the other side of the island. You guys can head on over there if you're going to keep acting like this. And it seems like that's the last straw. People don't calm down. Ed was going to walk off. Was there any like concern that maybe something you know maybe something bad like that was going to happen had to have it you know front of mind it was like you were watching it and they had to stop a couple of times and it you know it didn't sound like you know you could hear it you could hear it at the time you can hear it in the the tape it didn't sound like something that he was um flippantly saying by any stretch of the imagination i mean he was it was pretty serious, you know. He he was like, "You got to stop." You know, this is we're not going to play and watch people get you know seriously hurt here. And you know, it's a it's it's obviously, you know, when you listen to the show and you listen to parts of it, it's impossible not to think you know what you end up knowing four years later with Roskeld and and what happens there. And it's hard to imagine for them what would have happened had something happened at this juncture i don't know that they would have gone on at this stage 
considering where they were as a band and all of the things that they were dealing with. Had this happened now, 1996, I don't know that it. I don't know that there's a a Marine Midland Arena show, let alone a Pearl Jam. Um, moving on because there were so many different things that they were battling. So it's just fortunate that nobody got worse than knocked out and woke up in a hospital. All right. So they, they wait and they finally get back into it. Uh, but look, give them all credit for, especially after what happened at see here, see here now when wishlist kind of can't really get back to, to the way it was, but it's just like on a two beat. They're like, boom, I want to be with an animal and shit. They're back into the song. and It's back into a frenzy again. It seemed like they were almost done with the song too. Like it was only like right. just a couple of notes left in the song, but yeah, they could have finished. Cool. Yeah, exactly. And, but yeah, they, they go back to that, that whole last chorus and finish it out. Yeah. You know, it, it's going to happen all in this little section here where they go into Tremor Christ, which is obviously something a little bit more mid-tempoed. It doesn't have the vibe where Go or Spin the Black Circle or Animal is just, okay, everybody can go crazy. You're kind of free reign to do that. Tremor Christ should hone the crown it a little bit. And look, I mean, you get floored away by what Jack is doing on, on the percussive beat over there. And you're like, shit, okay. That kind of feels like something. And maybe Tremor Christ could be one of those songs where you're kind of, your body is moving and you're swaying from place to place. And yeah, it could feel a little bit more of a vibe than you usually feel with the song. If you're in that environment, but right after Tremor Christ, Ed is addressing the crowd yet again. There's so much activity back and forth up here. Um, yeah, Keith, go ahead for the next couple of songs. Just keep a little light on. We just gotta, just gotta calm things down. Just a little bit up front here. You guys gotta work with each other. There's too much swaying going on, and I don't know what else to say. What I can say is if someone was hurt to the point where they, they didn't live after tonight, I don't think we'd ever play again. Some bands, they continue on. I wouldn't be able to do it. Music ain't that important. So you guys really gotta work together, all right? I want this to be the last night. From somebody that has gone on record and said that music is one of the most important things on the planet, he will never put that over human life. Yeah, of course. And again, it, it may have been a decision to like, after Animal, like, okay, let's let's go to Tremor Christ, let's go to Who You Are, let's pick some of the more mellow ones. But this crowd was, they like I said, they were crowd surfing before the show even started. They, they don't care. It's not going right. to work. Right. Yeah, that kind of, I think it's just the time period that that takes me back to a 95 show when they were in San Jose. There's a video of it and Ed comes out to do a preset and he, uh, I think he plays Dead Man. And there are people crowd surfing during Dead Man, a fucking acoustic that Ed is out there doing like just, okay, off the cuff. I don't even think he was really doing presets at the time. I think that was just done yeah. to kind of fulfill just uh, the absence that happened in, in the San Francisco wake that year. But there were people crowd surfing during that, damn it. And then continuing on crowd surfing during release. That's, that was the 90s. That was that was MTV. You saw you're, it on MTV. You're right. And every, every meathead was like, ooh, I want to go do that and beat people up. Like, uh-huh. that. that's the way it was. There might have been some people in that crowd that, that could have looked at Ed for saying that and been like, really? Like, th- isn't this 
aren't you promoting this with, with music videos like Alive and Evenflow? Isn't that what you're all about? Isn't that your identity? I can see a lot of people kind of calling uh, Pot Call the Kettle Black on this. No, absolutely. absolutely. But it's just the, the nature of the matter is that if you can do it safe, do it. But if you're going to put lives in danger, then it's not worth it's not worth anything. So, yeah, who you are is played, and the performance of who you are is excellent. There's still tons of action and movement, and now Ed has pretty much lost it at this point. Oh yeah, he 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 did not get what he wanted after Animal. Like he they it didn't get better, so now he's mad. One more time, and I ain't saying a damn thing for another four or five songs. I don't care what the fuck happens. I know there's a loony bin or a mental hospital real close by. Is that where you guys fucking came from? It's a little too fucking crowded up here to be having a fucking mosh pit. Fucking relax. I don't think I've ever seen, maybe the quarter incident at Great Woods in 98, but I don't think I've ever seen Ed this pissed at a show. It reminded me of that thing from the from the PJ twenty movie where he's breath thing? screaming at yeah screaming at that security guard like you he's just like shaking like this isn't during a song obviously he's he they finish the song and then he kind of like goes off but yeah you can tell like he's 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 upset he's not having a good time no and and it, what's what's really crazy is later they'll they'll address kind of the whole outlook of the show and they'll see it in rose colored goggles here. And I'm thinking at that point, like really, you don't remember what happened in the first half hour to 45 minutes of this. You don't remember that literally people were being put in kind of a disaster, uh, in a danger area and crisis. And and you were furious about it. And then later in the show, he's just going to be like, Oh my God, you guys were the best crowd. And I don't mean that. I don't mean that just because you're in New York. Like that felt, I don't know, maybe because nothing severe went wrong. You're able to kind of look at it in that lens and kind of let, let things go a little bit. But I don't know if, if I'm at at this point, I, I would stay pissed the whole entire way, but honestly, they could have turned this show into a one set show. They could have ended after, after porch and that could have been the, the show. And they could have said, you know what? It's too much. It's too much. Yeah. We got to finish up. Yeah. And, yeah. and they didn't, they felt we can continue on with this. We made a promise to this crowd. We said it was going to be one of the best uh, shows that we've ever played. And one of the longest shows that we've ever played. And they, they made, they made up to their promise. So that's, that's, you know, identity number one and two of the show here is that the crowd unruly, but the band made up for it in a big way. And the, the crowd seemed, I don't, I don't think the crowd really tamed too much, but as long as nobody was put in a horrible situation, the band seemed to be okay with it. You have to get back into the set and, you know, to kind of continue set flow and to continue momentum here, you have to go back to some of the more faster and, and high energy songs and, and Corduroy and Luke. And after all of this, sure, maybe it's not the ideal situation that they would have wanted after telling everybody to shut up, but Maybe if they told everybody to shut up and they played Corduroy or something and they saw that the crowd was being okay, then maybe it would be okay for the rest of the night. Yeah, that that's the hope, I think. But that was that was really the one last final tirade 
yeah. before Corduroy. Yeah. And th- there's still a ton of movement during Luke, and there's still a ton of movement during Corduroy, but uh, apparently it's not enough to take notice and to take and to, to take caution again. So, uh, you know, I, I, at that point, I'm going to guess that the crowd was just tired because how can you keep this up for almost three hours of, of a show? Yeah, that's, there's probably something to that as well. <laughs> yeah. Corduroy and Lucan. Yeah. I, I thought you had something on Corduroy. Yeah. You have something? Oh, just a, just an unbelievable Corduroy. The ending one of those just transcendent moments where you get kind of the the tension of what's going on on stage and they are able to kind of channel that through jack and through this this version and and mike and jack at the end like just a unbelievable performance of quarter one of the best i've ever heard an OG ending right there. That yeah. is... Oh, and it would be just a few weeks later, they would be at, at Bridge and be doing the, the lounge version. They would switch it up right. completely. So, yeah. yeah, a lot of stuff going on with Cordero here. This is uh, it's just fantastic. Yep. I mean, I, I think Jack Corduroy's are probably the best Corduroy's. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, obviously you don't get, you get a, a small fraction of them uh, in three years of, of playing time, but uh, they're, they're terrific whenever you do get them. And Lucan's really good here too. It's another, like they're pretty, pretty much on point with it. They're going to be on point with it for all in 1996. So that sounds great. Uh, but addresses the crowd again by saying, I know how it's going in front. Uh, I want to know how it's going on the sides. But he addresses a young lady by saying, "If you, sweetheart, if you're not going to make it, you have to get out. Yeah, and yeah. he says, look, they'll stop. Believe me, every time there's dead time up here, we're going to make it up with more songs. So they're willing, kind of like what happened w- with the wish list performance, they're willing to see a situation out and make sure. And that, that puts like all the focus on one person. And I don't know if that like puts extra like stress on them to be like, Oh, well, if, if the whole show is waiting on me, then I better, I better get like, get out of here to be that person and to kind of be called out like that, but also to kind of seen like, okay, the band cares about me. There's 35,000 people here and the band is signaling me out. Like that's great on them to do that. And to, to reckon most, most bands wouldn't even look at the crowd in that fashion. Right. 
And it's interesting too the the change in kind of Ed's tone because just a few, couple of songs earlier he was all pissed off and mad, and now when he talks to that girl, it's just like, come on, like, right? He's just he's just he's just re- he's it's the resignation, it's just the exhaustion of like, just don't get hurt, like, come on. And the thing I remember from from hearing this bootleg back in the day was he he tells her like, hey, if you will find a place for you on the side of the stage, like that to me is like, okay, like I'll. I yeah, wanna, of I'll course. get up there and cause problems if you're going to let me get up, sit on the stage. Sure. And then apparently there was there was a fight. Like he yeah. points out, he's like, "There's a fight up here." What is there a Republican in the audience? Gets a little bit of a chuckle, of course. And uh, then says, "This song is about peace, love, and harmony." Uh, they go into Better Man, and then into Not for You. Better Man was not. It wasn't the performance that it. I, I don't particularly love. 95 96 performances of better man i think it gets there and i think when they start doing save it for later it starts getting a little bit interesting but like when this becomes full arena then that's when i start to pick up on it a little bit but it it still feels like ed is in this mode with the song where he just the song doesn't have that weight on him like he would kind of take uh measures when he would play it in in later years maybe it's not it doesn't have that or maybe it just has the black syndrome from early in the 90s where it it just meant too much to him to for him to put that emotion to play but um i didn't i didn't feel that raw like it was much more raw than a better man performance i think when i listened to to this song i i I always want that sense of just a full atmospheric ethereal vibe from it. Yeah. And the, the crowd is good on it. Like they do sing along to the, to the intro and everything that was cool to hear, but it is good that they have a sing along to do that. That kind of brings everybody together in a different aspect. Yeah, absolutely. But but I think like there's, there's a part of it too, where we're, we're not that far removed at this point from the recording of Vitalogy and kind of the fight that, that he and and Brendan had over it, like as to whether to put it on the record, whether to record it, how to record it. And I think he was kind of still at war with himself over the song. Like he, he didn't want to like give up and let it be the full, like, you know, radio rock anthem that it was born to be. And like, it did get radio play, even though it wasn't, there were, there were no singles, but I remember hearing better man on the radio and like, you would hear it on like the adult contemporary radio station. You know, it was like a like a crossover, and I'm sure that's the exact thing he didn't want for the song. So, yeah, I think it's he just hadn't kind of given himself over to letting it be what it was yet. Right, and we talked about what the curse in Alive is, and I think there are a couple songs that have sort of that curse, and Better Man is absolutely one of them. Sure, and I can't, I don't, I don't, I don't know when these curses specifically get broken i'll always go back to in between after by gnarl and then heading into the new era with with the riot act tour in 2003 where everything kind of felt more open and you know ed kind of felt a different kind of current connection with the crowd i would say it was probably then it still needs maturing time you know it, it still has a couple years before you get to it and i, I think there are some really great 2000 versions of better man but bringing in the aspects of, you know, starting the song and then giving the crowd the opportunity to sing it and kind of laying off of it and and it becoming a moment more than just adding to the numbers in this game here. 
And yeah, I think there, there might, there might be one or two other songs that you can say that about, but, uh, not for you follows that up and not for you. We, we played the story from before about the rain and how it seemed like Pearl Jam was controlling the weather, but the same type of energy here. Uh, I thought that this was great. I thought they definitely captured attention. There was, you know, obviously the crowd got into it a lot more and, uh, Stone Solo was, was phenomenal i thought that that brought an extra added element to to this and i mean we've always seemed to be talking about the stone solo effect in songs now that we can really point it out and be like okay that's not mike we're hearing that in 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 the right side that that is a stone solo there uh but i i don't know i i I absolutely felt it from this version not for you yeah, and I think I talked about it last week, too. I talked about kind of the relationship between Jeff and Jack and how they kind of played together. And you see Jeff just rocking out, having the time of his life, just watching Jack, just them feeding off each other. That was I was just watching that, the whole performance of this. And he's, Jeff is just bouncing around and doing all the stuff that you, you normally would see him doing in, like, 1992. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, it's just it's fantastic. And the, the original outro is so good. Like, it's a little... They do a little more to it. It's it's very clear on this. Like it sounds really really good. Uh, yeah, one of the one of the best performances of this night. Now you're about to get weird, and I think when they say we're going to do some different things, they're probably all signs point to this. There are people that do know about this because this is no secret. The band has done this at least five times at this point, and this would be the last such occasion where they would do this. But there were also people in this crowd that probably were going to their first Pearl Jam show that might not have ever bought a bootleg before that were like, what the fuck is this? And why are they singing Jeremy's lyrics to to this uh, this beat and this this rhythm? Um, I'm going to give this another bite to, to Patrick Bogle here to talk about this because he, obviously being a, a major bootleg collector back in the day, knew exactly what he was listening to from the from the moment he heard it. So, yeah, let's let's listen to his instant reaction on No Jeremy. 
I, I can't say that a lot of people knew. I knew it the instant I heard the the first drums of the guitar because um, I had listened to uh, the the Summerfest version, the Red Rocks version that you talked about. But um, you know that's that was that's some of the vibe of this show. You know, I'd mentioned earlier like you know, a lot of the going into this was like that. You know, for me and some and certainly a couple of the guys I went to with the to the show that had collected you know tapes and stuff too and had heard a bunch of the 95 stuff you know was that 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 was looming large over going to these shows like were they going to be these like monumental 25 26 27 song set lists and these things that they were mixing into uh to the to the shows at that time and this is the first sort of real nod to that was like you know pulling this one out which we had heard a couple of times and that it was just going to be, you know, was Rearview Mirror going to be extended similar to, to what was going on in 95? Or was it going to, you know, change? And how was that going to go? Same with some of, like, the, the vibes you get from, you know, Corduroy and Immortality from those uh, shows. And also Porch, which was very, very different in 1995 to 96. But I loved this different take on it. Probably more so because um, I just liked when... I liked when they fucked around with a purpose, and I thought this was like them, you know, kind of fucking around with a purpose. Like, we're gonna invert our, you know, sort of quote unquote most famous song, and we're gonna do it in a way <laughs> that is just, you know, totally a 180 from from how it sounds and what it was on a record. And I thought I always thought it was, uh, you know, daring interesting and and fun i wish they would continue to had mixed it in here and there um i get why it doesn't why it doesn't stick or you know it doesn't happen but i always felt like it was a good effort and something that would be you know certainly would have been welcome to hear um and i was love you know absolutely loved to get it um one time so um it's definitely something i go back to and listen to frequently so, like I mentioned before, it's officially the sixth and final time that they did the experiment. I know that there were like one or two times where they sort of teased it, but I'm not sure where the where those count in the lineage. And if anybody's counting, then okay. But I think officially there is six, but mostly the Red Rocks bootlegs are probably the ones circulating. I would think that maybe Milwaukee, or I, I believe they did one at Sacramento too. Uh, I think those might have circulated i'm not so sure on those but you know red rocks is kind of a known entity at the time it, it's it's had at least a year to circulate but um yeah to be in the crowd and to know how rare that is to know that like they've only done it x amount of times i'm just thinking to myself how many times i've seen some crazy stuff from like luke and twos to uh, all different types of things at Pearl Jam shows that I thought I would never see. Just just to songs like Out of My Mind being played, whatever whatever the case is, uh, that I thought I would never see. And if you're in the know then, and you know what's going on, maybe you read Five Horizons at the time, and you're really tapped into to what's happening, this has got to be really exciting for you. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's weird to talk about, because like, there's so much other stuff going on at the show that you almost forget that this is a this is a no kind of. show. Like it's known for so many other things. Yeah, kind and I, of. And I wonder if it was originally meant to be played this way because, like I said, this is the last one. I wonder if this was a 
an audible to say we can't do regular Jeremy. This crowd's going to go insane. Like we have to do this version. That's a little more mellow and a little quieter and just out of necessity. So I, I wonder if that played a part in this and that maybe it wasn't originally meant to be here because it's a weird spot for it. You know, at, at Red Rocks, it kind of gets like a, it was early on, like it got like a spotlight on here, but this is the, this is a weird spot for it. I don't know. I'd be, I'd be curious to see to know like what the what the plan was behind that but i think it's one of the best ones obviously red rocks is the most commonly known one but i think this one's like it's a little more upbeat like it's a little faster than the other ones i think it doesn't have that kind of deliberate pace to it and i yeah, i thought it was pretty good i you know no jeremy's it's not one of my favorite things it's it's cool for what it is but i i like this one yeah i i think maybe the other ones came off as weirder and yeah, uh, you yeah. know, maybe, maybe less self-aware. And I think because this had circulated and because people are apt to know what this is. And, and of course not all 35,000 people know what this is. There are going to be a lot of people who'll be like, why the fuck are they, they playing Jeremy like this? But I, you know, I, I also think that from that aspect, it, they know what they're doing with it and they know what direction they want to go. And if they decide that this was going to be the last one, which it was, then, then I think they went off on the right, the right note, you know, and this is exactly the era it's going to stay in. And it's just another notch in the cap of this show that you get another moment that you won't get pretty much anywhere else. So watch them do it tonight at Ohana. Oh, that's bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's not happening. If it is, then we are re-recording this fucking podcast. Yeah. yeah. All right. Once rats last exit, once kind of just transitions you from one to the next rats though. We could talk about rats for a little bit because you want to talk about song appreciation for this episode, I think rats has to be the one. They don't see, don't like, don't want rats, and they go scared their eyes. Stop the poor so they can be well fed. Find the holes with the dead ones, bread. They don't push, don't crowd, confident until they're much too loud. Jack has played on exactly four, four versions of Rats. Ooh. Yeah. This was not heavy in their rotation. This wasn't really heavy in their rotation when Versus was out and Abrazes was in the band. This was not heavy in the rotation then. It's still not heavy in the rotation now. Rats has been played, what, 59 times? Like, Something like this, that, yeah. This is, yeah, this is, this is the 25th time that they'd play it. And it, next to stuff like Rearview Mirror, which has been played 116 times, and Animal, which has been played 121 at that point. Like, yeah, Rats was not one that they were really paying attention to. It's it's a deeper cut on the B-side of, of Versus. But however, like, it's just interesting to see the way that Jack kind of went about this song and the way that when I first heard and 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 when this came up in, in the set and, and I heard it, 
You know what the first thing that came to my mind was? What's that? Sounds a lot like of the earth, the beginning. Hmm. Really? And just that that boom and like I don't know if it, it was there. There was kind of like this click that started it, and like there was a stone. Stone kind of had this riff that kind of went dun, 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 before they kind of got into that sort of the ratsy, more jazzy vibe. But it felt kind of like. I guess a little, dare I say, like grungier, like a little bit more dingy, a little bit more distorted, and Rats kind of has a bounce to it, and this just didn't have the same bounce. It was just, like, basically hitting as hard as you could. Yeah, it does have kind of an awkward start, where, like, they're they're not sure. It's, it almost felt like it could have fallen apart. Oh, if, yeah, uh, in the beginning, someone absolutely. hadn't, like, picked it back up, but they they eventually get through it and yeah it's 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 jeff and jack together on this again that's that's the same thing that i'm watching on this just like i'm not for you because yeah like said only four versions and they would only play i think they played a couple of days later in buffalo and then twice in 98 and then it was gone until 2006 so it's kind of on the on the on the trail out for the song before it came back but yeah, just interesting. Like, not a song really you associate with with Jack in 1996, but uh, still cool to hear him play on it. Yeah, we haven't I, done. I don't think we've done any of those other shows. So no, and yeah. I don't foresee like unless somebody wants to request it through through Patreon means or or whatever. Uh, I don't I don't have them on the schedule at any point soon. We have yeah. other shows from from those eras that that we're, we'll probably get to, but. Uh, yeah, it was just very unique because there are very few songs that Jack has, you know, like a leash. Jack has played leash, what, like three or four times as well? Something very, very small amount of times. Yeah, just think, a couple in 95 and that was it, I think. Maybe Why Go, maybe if just a few, maybe a handful on, on Four that. Or G. Yeah. Right, right. So to to kind of go back and to listen, okay, Here's what he was able to bring to the table with this. This sounds a lot different. Uh, it feels like kind of going back and finding the needle in a haystack with some of these, which is is really interesting. And now, we, you know, I don't think there is a Pearl Jam song outside of Just a Girl that Cameron hasn't played. Can you think of one? Falling Down. Ooh, yeah, Falling Down. Um, Damn. I think he's played everything. Out of my mind. Yeah, you put me on the spot. I can't think of one. There might right. there might be one or two, but yeah, you can't count any of the improvs because they they right. just don't. You know, Matt Matt had never done no Jeremy, so that's something. But obviously, yep. that's sort of a one off thing. But yeah, I you know, very 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 few. You can count on on basically two fingers how many Matt hasn't done. But the the ones at the time that Jack never went back to and and there are things that are rarer than even rarer than rats that Jack never went to like an alone or a breath or something like that are hard to imagine uh yeah you can just kind of see what was going through their heads and how they were progressing with these songs going forward so Last Exit, Explosive. I love Last Exit with Jack. There's no secret about that. Uh, this was the opener for night one, and that kind of got that crazy show out to to a roaring start. And, it's uh, you know, 
obviously you don't want to start both shows with Last Exit, but Last Exit, kind of in the same way that, that maybe you mentioned No Jeremy, Last Exit's a little buried here. I think, like, especially in the section that we're in now, some of these in a 32-song set with a 23-song main set could get lost with a lot of moments that are memorable outside of the performances could get lost a little bit. And, I, don't, you know, Last Exit probably in any other show wouldn't be here, but I think it's just due to the, okay, we got to hit every single song from every single album that we're, we're comfortable with. Let, let's throw it in there. Yeah, there's there's eight songs from Vitalogy here. That's kind of incredible. Yeah. And nine, I wonder nine from No Code. I wonder when, what the next show, how many shows there have been all time, maybe that they've done that many from Vitalogy, right. outside of the, just the Vitalogy era. Yeah, you're only missing the the weird songs and Nothing Man in Satan's Bed. And hey, you got to count. It, it, I know it's not on Vitalogy, but I got shit and Long Road. There, that's Vitalogy era right there. Mm-hmm. Sure. And uh, Ed's addressing the crowd again after what this is like six songs in a row where where he hadn't talked to the crowd so needs to check in they're probably getting tired he's probably getting a little tired but he asks how the sun sunday night crowd is sunday night crowd this is a sunday night crowd keep that in mind sunday night and all this is transpiring this is usually a good friday crowd a good a good saturday night crowd sunday crowds are tend to be a little bit more restrained but there's gonna there's gonna be one tonight. We'll see. Yeah, we will see. But as long as you're cool, we're cool. We go into habit. This little section of the set is very good. It's habit into rearview mirror. Then immortality whipping. I got shit. You know, I can I can talk about any of these for any amount of of time here. But really, the spacing of all the no code songs. You just you just hit a ton of vitality right in a row and a couple of ten uh, in there. And the last. No code that you hit was Lucan all the way back when they were having a problem with the crowd, which felt like at that point probably more than a half hour ago. So Habit is the first no code that pops up in a little bit. Uh, Rearview Mirror, I, I think there's a lot to talk about with Rearview Mirror because it kind of in that in that bridge it kind of comes to that like full stop. You barely hear it ever get to that full stop where it's just like, okay, what the hell direction are they going with? Why did the song? just completely come to a halt and i was reading that five horizons uh karen's uh uh look back on this and she equated it to she kind of thought it it sounded a little bit like that little uh interlude in in won't get fooled again right and i i know we've compared it to the who before but that's a really great comparison when thinking about what they've done on rear mirror especially for this era yeah i think that that's a big influence on that on that part and yeah, this rearview mirror is is perfect for the time. And I know, like later on in you know two thousand three, two thousand five, two thousand six, they would really go off on it, and it really became something else. But this is oh, it's so good. And you know, you you just called out you know long road and and I got shit, and the mirror ball comes down during rearview mirror, and you think that's mm-hmm. got to be a little tie in to to what's what's happening the previous year too, like a little Neil Young mirror ball reference. I just thought this was perfect. Ed even gets into it a little bit. He's doing a little bit of different inflection, like he goes up on the look away, and it's just wonderful. Mm-hmm. 
how do you follow that up? Like normally rearview mirror, that would be the end of the set. Like you, yeah, right. you can't follow that up. You just have to, you have to leave the stage cause you can't follow it up. But this immortality just as good. Like this, this is the best, I think one, one, two punch of the whole night. Yeah. Um, I'll even take it back. Cause I, I like, you can talk about Mike, you can talk about Jack with immortality, but I'll take it back to habit. Like Mike was on a hot streak during oh, sure. Habit. Had an yeah. unbelievable solo at the end of it. Immortality the same. He, you know, he brings this just just that exhilarating level. And I always say, immortality is that outdoor song where you just got to hear it under the night sky and you got to let it just open up like that. And I, I think they nailed it. I think they really hit it on the head. And Jack is just insane. That whole outro. It's not. I, I think the version that we heard last week in Toronto definitely has more of Jack's insanity. This is honed in a little bit more. Jack absolutely leaves it all on the table in that Toronto version, but boy, is this this really good as well. This this is all working here. This is all this is a really juicy part of the set. And even after Immortality, we get a little whipping and we get I Got Shit as well. It, again, it's how do you follow up those Mirror <laughs> Immortality? Like, you almost have to do, like, it's like a kind of a reset because whipping's just a short quick one and like they 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 did that when you're playing such a long main set you have to have these kind of like you know the the wave kind of crashes with immortality and then you have to kind of rebuild it and whipping is just a quick one just like you know kind of like corduroy was with lucan kind of like you know last exit and habit are like you need those little breaks to like transition from the next one and this version of i got shit like so fucking good like just one of the one of the greatest like one of the greatest performances of this night which means it's it's one of the best in their history like just not a damn thing wrong with it it's also the 20th song yeah this is deep this is deep into the show there are a lot of songs that are getting played here and uh yeah it feels like they're just maybe looking at the back of albums right here and being like we good on that all right throw that in we good on that all right yeah. where are we throwing yeah. that in and they're making sure they what song that they played completely consistently off the first three albums wasn't at one of these randalls whether it be the first night or the second night I don't, if there was one it was probably what like an oceans or something like that or a release was, was dissident played night one that's the only one i can think of uh well blood was played dissident was played yeah there you go. Um, so, yeah, I mean, most of the songs in the heavy rotation were played either night. So there there you go right there. All right. We're we're finishing. OK, this is crazy for as many Vitalogy songs and no code songs that, that there are in the set. We're ending this show on three ten songs. Is that just kind of insane yeah, the way that we talk about weird. 10 in this era yeah it's a little weird that they would just it's almost like at, it's like all right you made it through that here's your reward like here's yeah. here's the prize for making it through that we're gonna we're gonna play the hits and even you know i'll i'll, I'll go to black here i didn't get that same kind of with better man that that warmth to black. And I know that bagel will mention something in his profile episode that, uh, when he, he saw people listening to black and hearing that they were openly weeping at this show, which I, I can understand. But like when you put this up against other versions that happen a little bit earlier than this, and that happened a little bit later than this, I'm, I'm, 
you know, I'm always thinking about that and I'm always like, is this one, was this just not in the forefront for Ed at the time? Did he just not care about this as, as much? It felt like the rest of the band was all right on this, but it didn't feel like Ed took it to the level that he usually does or that we kind of know him to. Interesting. I mean, you, you do get a We Belong Together, which I think is is cool. But yeah, I think it just it, it just it wasn't about him at this point. It was the song had kind of been put on the back burner. Like it's almost like now it's like this huge moment, like you said, like the, the ones before and the ones after. It's it's like it's the showstopper. But but here it, it wasn't. So, yeah, it's it's almost like it's the the one before the one. Right. And, you you know, I, I thought that we were going to get back to back. I thought that Black and Alive were both going to have that aspect. And really, it's two weeks in a row where Alive actually felt a lot better than what I expected it to feel like. They It felt like there were times where Eddie didn't seem like he was in it. But towards the end of the song, he he starts to he starts to feel it. And I think he starts to get the presence from the crowd. And and maybe he starts to hear Jack pop on it or Mike pop on it or something like that. And and he starts to get in a little bit and kind of starts screaming a little bit at the end. And that's where it took a turn. And, and McCready's solo is also just incredible. I think there are a lot of Van Halen moves in a solo there. There's a lot of kind of like hammer on and, and finger tapping in there. Finger yeah. tapping. Yeah, right. So there's a lot going on. So I think maybe that might have energized him a little bit more than than what he would usually happen with with alive which they're still it's pretty heavy in the rotation at the time they're still doing just about every show at this point but uh you know better than average for this era for sure yeah and alive the thing you know i always look for you know what what stone is doing and there's a there's a moment here where kind of jeff and stone go over and kind of play off each other and have a little moment i thought that was really nice to see like at this point with everything else going on with all the turmoil and all the other stuff not even the musical stuff that they can still kind of have this pure moment on stage with this song that has all this history behind it i just i thought that was really special and just just a cool thing to see now we're ending the main set after 23 songs this is going to be number 23 here and it's going to be porch and it's actually believe it or not they're on tour for the for two weeks at this point and it's the first 1996 performance of porch and i'm wondering if porch is starting to become that one of those is it is it going to fall in the why go category yeah that okay maybe ed wasn't going to climb on things anymore maybe ed wasn't going to do something and i wonder if he brings this up backstage and he said you know what guys I'm ready. Like we needed, we needed a moment to do this. And, and, and I think in front of this crowd in New York city, I think we need, you know, while while I'm sure there were people that were from the Rolling Stone magazine that were there taking, taking notice. I think he wanted to make a statement during porch. And I, I, I couldn't see any other song having something like this happen. So they get, you know, they get to, the, the part of the song and when i say the part it's when you know that ed is about to to make something happen he's about to make a statement and it comes kind of middle end of the solo and and let's just put out there right now the solo is terrific it's fantastic it bounces off the wall it's vibrant it's energetic it's awesome and then you know while this is going on ed is duct taping himself he's kind of wrapping duct tape around himself he puts duct tape over his mouth as if to silence himself and he addresses 
what happened without he kind of mentions rolling stone but he addresses what happened uh and what the situation was that that he was going through uh, if you trust me at all, if you want to listen to me at all, which you certainly don't have to. Speaking from experience, I can tell you that things change. You can believe me, you don't have to. They probably won't change unless you make them. The best way to change somebody that's around you, something you don't like, is to change yourself. And I don't think you want other people changing you. I think I think the only person that can change you is yourself. So if you ain't happy, If you're reading magazines about Generation Xers and thinking, yeah, I'm one of them, well, fuck that. Don't let anybody tell you who you are. No, no. No one can tell me who I am. I can tell you who I am, but that would be uh, a long story. I can tell you who I am, it wouldn't fit, it wouldn't fit in a Rolling Stone. It wouldn't fit in a video, it wouldn't fit, it's my life, it's your life. You're the only one who knows who you are. I hope you know who you are. If you don't know who you are, figure it out. Because you are somebody. And I'm probably stating the obvious. But I just thought I'd do it anyway. So if you feel like you got a duct piece of duct tape on your mouth, if you feel like you can't speak, take it off. Speak up. Speak your mind. Shout out. Let them hear you. Rolling Stone had put out a hit piece because basically he he went and took an article for Spin and didn't take an article for Rolling Stone. So Rolling Stone had some uh, some bitterness about that. And they they went on and and they put a hit piece on about him and they went back to his high school classmates and asked them, oh, what, what's Eddie Vedder like? What was he like in high school? And they painted a completely different picture of what he was like back then compared to what Ed was actually like and the, the way that he's perceived through his songs. So basically they want to, they wanted to interpret Ed as not being this sort of disturbed kind of, you know, dark artist. And he was more of a, like a, 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 a a theater jock, I think they, they put it at some some point in that the rant that he Which went is on. Fine, like it's such a dumb thing for the nights to be like you have to be this persona that you that the like that the media basically created for him, this tortured artist guy. But how many people are actually like that? Like to say, yeah, it's 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 just so dumb in retrospect. I think at the time 
maybe because we don't have social media and everybody just wants a piece of who Eddie Vedder is or who anybody is at the time. Like, they could write this about Billy Corgan. They could write this about, like, Dave Navarro, whoever the hell was popular in 1996. They could write the same thing and try to pull it in some sort of direction that people would be like, oh, really? Okay, that's this person? And, you know, with social media, people are kind of able to dictate who their character is now. And, you know, I, I, I think that there was a wall in between fan and performer at the time where you always wanted to know a little bit more and peek behind that curtain. And if somebody had some little bit of dirt and, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I know a guy who knows a guy who knows Ed's brother. And then you think, you know, everything like that's how it was back then. And I think that kind of all escalated to a point where it just turned into something completely unneeded the the whole article was just a waste of time a waste of everybody's time i want to throw it back to patrick um talked a little bit about this and the reaction at the time and what was going on and what he saw in the crowd also ed jumps in the crowd at some point in this too uh so he's obviously making a statement but it's one of those you had to be there to to really know what was going on type moments so we're going to get to to patrick what was it like being there for this 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 ramble? Two things with that porch. Like, rarely an Ed goes on a, a you know a rant or a talk. Does it? Um, I don't want to say it doesn't sit with me or doesn't strike me. I don't get. I, I don't always like you know cling on to what he's talking about. This is one of those moments where he's being pretty straightforward, real, and raw, and trying to explain something. To the crowd and this is at a time also where you know they had paired back you know been desperately trying to like control who they were not because they were trying to you know control their image they just wanted sanity in their lives they loved playing music and wanted to play music but they wanted it to be you know something that was not other people's levers being pulled and and game being played and Every word he said that night, had I had I not had great tape of it listening back to, I still believe that I would remember because I was sitting there with pretty much everyone when we went to the show with, and we were all like focused on what he was saying because it it was clear, it was heartfelt, and it wasn't, uh, and it also wasn't just about him. That that was the thing, and that's always the thing. Like when he's on and gets the crowd is what he's good about it's not he doesn't necessarily make it about him and this was a situation that obviously you know is about you know referencing that article which as you mentioned was to me it was a totally shitty shot um and 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 hit piece that was um really ridiculous because he and this band were never trying to make themselves something it was everybody else was doing it like they never set out to be the grunge superstars they never set out to write the the script they never went out and said this is how it has to be and this is what is everybody needs to do and you got to follow us and you have to live by our laws they were just trying to do something that they loved and in that process it hit the frenzy of everything that went on in the early 90s so i always thought it was comical the 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 title of that article i believe is inventing eddie vetter and it's like yeah, but you all did exactly that. what you did, right? 
you all and you all invented it because he didn't you know go to this the, the songs that he was writing weren't in an effort to try to like deceive anyone you know it wasn't meant to like create a picture of him that was um constantly autobiographical um so it was it was uh you know you you, you dug that speech if you were tuned in i mean it was you know he, it, again he turns it into about not him like you know know who you are because you are somebody those words just always you know stuck deeply with me and you know you don't try not to you know look at people that are quote unquote stars or rock stars and be like yeah that's you know i'm, I'm I, I need their advice but you know sometimes you do sometimes you need people that are in a, in a spot that can help you kind of just get to a straight place and tell you that it's okay tell you that it's you know no big deal so um you know it's that i think that's why that speech stuck to people so much is because he keeps it pretty real and then uh the next thing you know he's he's hopping on out to uh to the crowd with the duct tape on and uh, you know even that very based on where i was uh standing with everybody we had no idea that he had duct taped himself until like reading about it the next day that you know, Eddie Vedder had wrapped himself in duct tape and threw himself into the crowd. Like he knew stuff was going on, but like you're at enough of a distance that if you weren't up in the the front area of that pit, you weren't you know you weren't sure that that had occurred where he had just hurled himself into the audience, which again was uh, pretty daring with everything that was going on um, in that pit that weekend to be like, hey, I'm going to throw caution to the wind and throw myself out there. Out of all the intense moments that happened from this night, I think that's one that definitely gets talked about the most. I think that's one that you know, right after, you know, while making the statement and being in the, the the spotlight that New York City provides, I think a lot of people did take notice. I, I would think that the major magazines and, and media labels were, were in there and, uh, you know, no better place to kind of get your voice heard than one that that everybody's going to be paying attention to. So yeah, he went into this with purpose, and uh, it made for a, a very classic Ed moment. I don't I don't know how many of these specific like him defending himself against the media type moments there were in the early early nineties. Maybe a couple, but not to this extent. He's just kind of had it with everything that's been going around, and he just kind of no like and like normally like he maybe wouldn't address it this directly but you're getting kind of the unfiltered version of it here and it's everything from the last couple of years that's built up and he just kind of lets it out to this crowd and the the duct tape i think is is part of that like you talked about like duct tapes his mouth and then decides no i'm gonna talk and like pulls duct tape off his mouth and yeah it's just a really important speech and really important for the era and really important for him i think it's the culmination of of a lot of things that were going on yeah no doubt about that i think he hit it on the head like you know no one knows you better than you know yourself so all right we are at the encore now let's pause for station identification um talk a little bit about the website we can just mention right here that uh, our look, our concertpedia reviews are ongoing. They're always going to be right after, or at least as you know, when when an actual tour happens, we'll try to get on this as much as possible. But we want to try to get you the review right after the show in case 
you were somebody that that missed a live stream or you weren't there. Uh, you know, we want to be able to get all these juicy details on paper. Nobody else is really doing it this way. So head on over to live on four legs.com right now. We have all the recap from see here. Now we have all the recap from the first Ohana and next week we will have the recaps from both of the Ohana encore. Uh, also, I want to talk about Patreon real quick, and I just want to mention, obviously, if, if you want to support the show, there's tons of content over there from Evolution episodes to Bridge School series episodes uh, to profile episodes that we're doing on, on Patrick this week. That'll be out later this week, uh, and there are going to be so much more with new series and new uh, touch-ups coming on to Patreon in the next coming month or so, but I, I just want to address something because a month ago, we did a little bit of a charity drive uh, for the Project Matters, and we raised $750 for them. This That is... Cool more than we had ever raised before. But I, I just want to say, because sometimes when you make a donation and we've done donations to a couple different places where, you, you know, you, you donate and maybe you send it on, uh, you donate it through a website and then it, it, it just, it goes directly to whatever account uh, the, the charity is. And you don't know exactly what your funds are going to. And I just wanted to, to tell all you guys that especially everybody that that pitched in because how wonderful everybody was to 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 pitch in the amount that they did and even the patrons that didn't pitch in extra but have continued to pitch in for all this time all of that went to that as well um but look i got a message from karen who uh runs the project matters and who i got to meet at shorestock a week ago and she's a wonderful human being and is doing such wonderful things for this organization and uh also at that event at shorestock we were able to witness uh a young lady named uh, olivia beck and if you were there like you know exactly what I'm going to go through right now. She was incredible on the stage. She's had an incredible stage presence. She has an amazing voice. She is talented. The rest of her band is talented. And like I'm not mincing words when saying you will see her somewhere at some point in a big on a big stage. You know, Shorestock had a hundred so people there, but she next year come around that time. She might be playing at a see here. Now she might be on a side stage. She might maybe be very early on a main stage and she definitely has that presence. And I bring her up because not only were we all just completely floored and blown, blown away by her, but, um, we found out this week she's a beneficiary of the project matters. And I got a message this week from Karen and she sends me pictures. She's like, Hey, your donation paid for Olivia's new keyboard. And I, I haven't even properly sent her a response yet. Cause I'm still processing it. Wow. That's great. Yeah. Just to see the, the and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at that. I'm like, no, that's not possible. That was us. We did. We and I'm not saying John and I. I'm saying live on four legs as a community. I'm saying everybody that's involved with Patreon. I'm saying that everybody that was at that that Zoom event that night that that even listened to what was going on or showed up that 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 night. That's what that all contributed to. That's really heavy and that's really special. I take a lot of pride in that and um, I. I just hope that and wanted to share that with you all 
uh, to tell you that you guys should take pride in that too, because um, once again, she uh, the only the only way she's not going anywhere is if she decides that she loves something more and wants to do something more. Yeah, that, she's she's gonna write songs on that thing. Like that's gonna be that's gonna help her creative process, and that's yeah, you know that's that's something special for sure. That yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, uh, like it would have been fantastic no matter who it was, but like understanding that she just is a special i i've i feel like i've seen so many people come in and out of music and uh you know maybe on stage like they have a presence but maybe they're they do they lack something a little bit musically maybe they are better musically but they don't hold the crowd in the palm of their hands she is a five tool player when it comes to all that like no doubt in my mind she will be somewhere and to contribute to a budding career like that. And hopefully just a, a very successful one. I'm, I'm so happy that we were all able to do that. So I wanted to share that all with you guys and, and uh, you know, just if, if you can give her a like on, uh, on the social media pages on, on Facebook or Instagram or, um, or follow her on, uh, on Spotify, go listen to her stuff. It's just incredible. Even her, even her recorded studio stuff is, is really, really, really good. So Olivia Beck, B E C. Uh, and if you want to contribute over to Patreon, um, you know, the, the tiers are there dollar tier gets you everything. $5 gets you a way to request a show and uh, $10 gets you a profile episode, and it also contributes to our liveonfourlegs.com webpage. So, patreon.com slash liveonfourlegs, liveonfourlegs on the Patreon app. All right, back to the rock. Let's move on. We still got like nine songs here to go. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's obviously a big show. So, uh, Ed's <laughs> holding up a shirt reading Vetter for President, and uh, this is where we get a little bit of comedy. Yes, I admit I smoke pot, but I didn't exhale. We know exactly what time period this is, don't we? Yep. Yep. <laughs> In my tree. Irons, Jack Irons, Jack Irons. It just, even the, just Ooh. the beginning of the song, how fierce that is. The, the, yeah, just the drums and Ed's voice, like, they let it kind of go on for longer, and it's absolutely perfect. I, the only, the only, and I, I said this last week too, and I don't know if this was just a, uh, the nature of just Jack really sounding loud, or maybe the, the bootlegs not mixing in Mike as strongly as we get a mix of Mike in nowadays, but I just, I want to hear Mike's power on that. I want to hear it so much more. And I, I know, I know it's there when you're listening in that audience, but I, I wish you had something more substantial for Mike where you really get the power of his solo. I know it's there though. I know it's there. Yeah. You just, yeah. it's something that just gets 
you know, in basically muffled in translation, essentially. So the band is just matching the intensity that Jack is bringing for this, and they are coming full force back into this set really, really strong. Even Flo and Daughter. Even Flo has been played in the encore a lot in 1996, and uh, Daughter kind of played everywhere. So two hits here, I think... You kind of you, you get the the crowd sort of rev back up a little bit, and Mike Solo's great, and and daughter gives the crowd kind of a moment to to go back and forth with Ed a little bit, and and it's just kind of testing them, and he's saying, all right, which ones do you know? Do you know the real me? All right, well we're gonna sing the real me a little bit here. Do you know another brick in the wall? All right, let's sing another brick in the wall. All right, you guys you guys pass those tests. Now let's let's do one of ours. We get a WMA. It's a triple tag. We had a triple tag of the Who stuff last week, and now we get we like did. uh two two of the top three of their you know most famous daughter tags, and then the real me, which is one of the top three of their best Who covers. Yeah, it's funny. I think Karen's review says, "Oh, I'd love to hear them do a full version someday." <laughs> yeah, I like, saw they, that. they did. You, you got your wish. She was on the money, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So, and yeah, then the, I, the, the even flow too. Sorry, it says that we get a don't vote Republican. If you, in case you forgot, there was an election about a month away from this. That's true. If you want to go back into our archives, we did cover a Charlotte show from 1996 with special guest Gloria Steinem in it, and they did a little, you know, vote for change and and yeah, went around yeah. and trying to get people to register to vote. So that yes, that was happening at the time. All right, Stone's ego is at play here. Before we do this next one, can I get a chant of Stone Stone just for a second? Let me just hear what it's on. Well, you're gonna get it anyway. Boy, he needs to keep himself in check. I, I, what is wrong with him? Like, I, I know he basically wrote the first two albums, but he—he's—he's he's kind of a jerk here, man. He, he like really Stone. Why? Why? Why is? Why does Stone need such a need? No, Stone is the best. I, I I can't keep that going for for that long. Come on. Of I was course. about I was about to pick it up and with you, but yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> have been able to. I would have been able to do it for more than a couple of seconds. But yeah, it's it's shtick. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah mankind's. Um, some pieces of mankind sort of get left in the dust a little bit because you're just kind of thinking, oh, it's Stone. Let Stone sing, Stone. But like the solo on Mankind is fucking great. How about that? Yeah, uh, just a, a fantastic performance and a night full of them. Right, uh, Stone Stone's voice sounded great too. I think yeah. mostly when you want to hear Mankind, you want to hear it from 1996. That is the prime territory for it. It's only the fifth time, right? And played. obviously, once once the year, and uh, there's I mean, there's not much on the U.S. leg. There's a little bit more in Europe when they're going around. I think they were able to get around Ticketmaster a little bit better, but it's happening a little bit more. But like those are the performances. Not 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 your state colleges and some of your others where where mankind needs a, a double or even a triple take on it. So uh yeah this is this is prime territory. And then middle of Encore one we get Long Road. So I think Ugh. this is what this I'm exhausted when, from this point, but this fucking version of this song is unbelievable. I'll, I don't even know, man. Like it's to to be listening to the show and like you know, I, it's been a while since since I come back to this one, and like I you know I I try not to like go back and look before. Like I want to 
fuck? It's been a while since I've heard Randall's Island. Let me go back and listen to that. And you hear, like, oh, we're winding down to the end. Like, you get Mankind. You think, like, oh, okay. We're... And then to get this intense long road here, just, oh, my God, it's unbelievable. Yeah, they're 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 I mean that's how you know they're throwing the kitchen sink out. Like this yeah. is this is a very percussion heavy version of the song and it didn't really rely on being too overly emotional. I think that's what maybe gets it a little overshadowed is is that it's people are so used to getting it in the beginning that when you see it anywhere else and and when you see release somewhere else sometimes you you just you, you kind of forget that it can happen. Yeah, and like it, it opened the the first show it was ever played at. It, it debuted right. as the opener, so yeah, you kind of have that that perception of it. But here just is like a punch in the face getting it this late because you just like you're ready for like the party thing, and here comes the long road. Just like oh my god, like and this version is great too. I mean, only the sixth time that they played it, so yeah, maybe it hadn't quite found its home. I mean, the song debuted back at the beginning of the '95 tour, and here we are like a year later so it hadn't been played that often but right Birkin Ball comes out what late 95 like yeah November, December December yeah and this long written like in between Mankind and Leaving Here like that's just nuts yeah uh, I think it kind of caught me off guard in the same way yeah. it just you don't expect it and especially from this era if they would have done it at a show in 2021 I think it would kind of be brought up as one of those moments like whoa like that was out of you know out of this world that they did something like that but here you're right there's just so much going on and you sort of forget to process i mean we almost forgot to kind of process and mention that that you kind of forget that no jeremy is a part of this uh, like if if that is part of the mindset going on through the show then of course long road takes takes part of the back burner but no uh, Long Road is this is a fantastic version and absolutely does not deserve to be overshadowed at all. That's why we spent a couple minutes on it. But leaving here is going to close your main set. The mirror ball is going off again, and it just it, it, it like R- River Mirror. It looks cool just seeing the reflective background. It looks like the Neil Young album cover as well. I think Ed took all the solos. I think Ed hogged the solos on this because I didn't see anybody else moving. I think so. I, th- I thought Stone had one. Mm, I, you know, it was tough. It, it, the end yeah. sucked, but it yeah, it's, yeah. it seemed like, and really, you couldn't even see where Ed's hands were. I was just looking at where Stone and Mike's hands were, and they weren't moving at all. So I think Ed took at, at least three or four. 
See, I, I thought it was Mike Stone, Ed Ed, but I could have been wrong. Yeah, they were. De- Ed definitely had consecutive ones. Let's just put it yeah. that way. Yeah. But look, they're on a nice little hot streak with with this song, where it's kind of it's becoming a main part of of the set list and kind of like a, a closer. It was uh, last week when we did Toronto. It was the closer of the main set. They only played one more song after it. Uh, they're starting to put it in a big spot where they're saying to people like, "Look, this is how we're we're finishing off. We're finishing off strong." And, and uh, hey, throw back to the Letterman tease. Uh, you know, I think I, I think I went off on that enough last week. I know, but th- I, I'm just trying to enhance the fact that they yeah, were yeah. they were really digging this song at that point. Oh yeah, absolutely. All right, encore number two here. We're getting three songs, and Ed says, Ed's checking in, and he said, it's been two and a half hours. Ask the crowd if they're good for more. Of course they are. They're overwhelmingly pleased. And said, we were just going to do one more, but we could do a couple. Mike starts the intro in the lead better, and the crowd is just unhinged, and they're like, oh, my God, we're getting lead better. And then he stops, and they're not quite ready for that yet ed tells the crowd hold tight a little bit we're going to figure out what we're doing we're having an argument we're going to try a couple that we never played before which is not exactly true but when you think of the circumstances in which they had been played both being in seattle and not really being inside of what the no code tour was then yeah it's the first time that they are introducing it to a non-hometown crowd so off he goes is the third play live here um it has all the delicate moments to it that the album version has where you really feel the emotion you feel kind of the weight of the song and i think we talk about now they sort of turn it into like an acoustic melody and maybe a little bit sing-along maybe a little bit of folk song and it 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 doesn't have that sort of drop off and that build and that and those that kind of storytelling aspect that really makes the song special i thought you know when you go back to to 96 versions like this is this is what makes the song special here yeah i thought it was really good the, the clapping i think threw me off a little bit i'm glad that that hasn't stuck around as as a thing you get it sometimes it was it was a little it was a little weird but yeah, just a fantastic performance of the song. I love the song, and I'm I think it's I think it's it just goes to show like Ed you know wasn't ready for this night to be over. He he told him at the beginning this is going to be something special. You know, expecting the songs to be played better than they've ever been played, more songs than we've ever played. So instead of Led Better, it's like nope, let's throw in, throw in a couple more here. Why not? And how often do you get like two songs that have almost never been played like he says never but it's the third and the second of present tense but just a just super special to get these songs and like from the from the new album the album's been out for less than a month i think yeah unbelievable think think about the way that they start off and the way that they're able to captivate the crowd and turn them almost into this psychotic bunch and then they're taking the end of the set here and they're saying like okay this is a this is a completely you know we're we're gonna cool things off because you guys have had enough you guys have have shown your energy and now we're going to uh we're, we're gonna give you something different this is this is what 
the 1996 Pearl Jam actually is. And I think the crowd responded really well to it. Yeah. Present tense. I thought that this was an amazing version of present tense, the way that it's able to to build and just burst through the seams sort of in that middle there where, you know, those guitar, that extra guitar kind of comes in and then you're able to kind of bust through and, and get all those moving pieces. That is just one rock solid keeper of a song. And, you know, not they weren't playing present tense a lot in 1996 and it kind of grew and developed to be the song that it is now and uh hey speaking of growing and developing and speaking of present tense we've actually covered this on the evolution episodes which is over on our patreon so that's something you can listen to us talk about i believe we actually talked about this version too brand new songs that are more mid-tempo non-mosh pit songs you can't I like i don't think you can really especially in the bill i don't think you can really mosh to to present tense at all so you know you're negating that and you're ending the night on more of a positive note than the way that you started yeah absolutely it's it's kind of like they were able to to fight through and and make it work and, and come around because yeah they said after after Lucan, we didn't really hear any more about about the crowd. So this is kind of uh, just a way, and we, you know, we always talk about how oh, the band is always like giving back to the fans, and and this is one way they do that. Instead of just following the set list and doing what they do, they're like, no, let, let's play a couple more here. Let's give these let's give these fans something special for having hung with us through these these two nights and having to go through all the trouble with. The, like you mentioned, the traffic going back to the very beginning, like the the non-ticketmaster venues. It's it's a weird place to get to. It's you know we've heard from a couple of people like it's and you've been there. Like it's it's not easy to get to, from what I understand. Yep, and you need to take a bus or kind of yeah, kind of a pain. I've driven there before. It's not easy to drive there either. Right, right. So it's just a way. Like they could have easily just played Yellow Lead better and 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 be done. But no, like let's we've we've given this 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 crowd everything let's let's give them some more and this is just another example of that it's just another thing that makes the show really special yep for sure and ed's gonna address the crowd by saying this is as perfect a crowd as you can get that's the first thing he he says before getting into lead better Re- do, do you really think that like he's, maybe, he's got a short memory you got to have a short memory I, that, doing that job fair enough fair enough but Hate to placate, but we've had the best time in New York the last few days, and I hesitate to make promises, but it won't take so long until we're back here the next time. I believe 
And obviously 1995 was more of like a, a West Coast, Midwest, uh, sort of Southwest uh, ordeal with the tour. But uh, they they kind of did what what they do. The Paramount in New York in 1994, and that sort of cemented the 94 tour. But that doesn't, even that show doesn't really get the kind of exposure that some other New York shows get. Like yeah. this might be the first real New York show outside of maybe the New Year's show that gets the exposure uh, through their history. So, and there yeah, they played there, you know, less than a year later in June of 97 at Downing stadium, uh, Randall's Island for the Tibetan freedom concert. I believe that was the one with, it was just corduroy yellow, I'd better rock in the free world. And then long road. Yeah. I think 98, they played a little bit longer. I think they played like 10 songs or so in 98, mm-hmm. but yeah. Yeah, definitely. We don't. We haven't really addressed t- Tibetan freedom stuff, and that could be interesting to go back to at some point for sure. Maybe for uh, Patreon. But, uh, hey, if if they want it, they're going to get it. You know, you know how we do that. But uh, look, yeah, <laughs> they kind of. Uh, Ed mentions this thing where he says, "I woke up this morning and had this vivid dream that the band would keep playing and playing and playing until there were six people left up front. And you guys are too tough. You you just beat us on this. So, uh, it, yeah, it's just you know, I, I've I've heard things like that. I've heard you know bands say that they were going to do that, and and it never ever comes to fruition. People are never going to leave, but yeah, you know, it's I, the, that is definitely that's that's like right out of the Grateful Dead kind of playbook right there. I'm it, sure it reminded me of like that Lollapalooza show in My Morning Jacket where they just played and played and played. Yeah, whatever. And the but yeah, I, I love this speech as well. This is another one that you that I remember from listening to this for the first time. And again, you can just tell the the different tone in Ed's voice. Like we talked about earlier, where he was angry, then he was just exhausted, and and now you can tell like he's in a much better place at the end of the show. Like he's just relaxed, and it's it's all kind of like washed over. Like the shows shows over basically. So he's just just letting it out. Like it's I think this is really cool. Good speech. And then the crowd gets exactly what they wanted in the beginning of the encore, which is the, which is led better, and they become unhinged again, and they get the full song again. I, you know, we always end up glossing over led better because it's just kind of the way that you finish the show, and we're like, all right, well, we want to get to our moments. Well, you know, led better might be a moment like this, especially for 1996. This song is still growing. The song is still find finding its mark and and you know at this time i think a lot of the people that are kind of in the know recognize that yellow led better is the song to get at the end of the show and that really comes into play 1995 is probably soldier field is the one where you're like okay wow led better doesn't get played a lot but when it does that's going to end your night that's that's the way i i want the next pearl jam show i go to to end so uh, and I think any time that you get this big show like this that has all these moments in it and tells this story and this theme throughout, that at the end you just get something like Ledbetter that's this just sort of culmination of the night where the crowd can look, uh, where the band can look into the crowd and and look to each other and sort of recognize that, hey, we did something really special this night. And not only that, but there's some versions in 90, 1996 where Mike doesn't go off as much, goes off in this. This is uh, closer to a Mike kind of modern day Ledbetter solo that we would get 
in in 96 and i thought that that might have been uh due to the nature of what all happened and being like yeah you guys you guys brought it tonight so we're we're giving you one final moment to go out on i thought i thought that this was a very this is an exceptional version of yellow lot better yeah which i don't say very often right yeah very very good Uh, and again i was i was watching jeff and i think jeff goes back and and went to the back for the first part of it and they yeah. kind of like hang out a little bit, which is really cool. And then he finally like starts playing. And then he finally walks around to the front. But yeah, that I was I was getting a kick out of watching that. Yeah, that was fun. It just looked looked like they were having a good time. And it's yeah. very hard. Most of this video is is uh, you know kind of long shots, and you can't really see faces during it. So to see Jeff at the end there, you kind of get the expression. You're like, okay. They're enjoying it as much as we all enjoyed it. Great. That's that's awesome. You always uh, you, you just never know sometimes with everything that went on. Do they just want to get the fuck out because they played 32 songs? No, they feel like they just did one of the most important shows in recent memory, which, you know, we're doing it here. So it had to have been important for for something has to count for something. If somebody remembers it well, so three moments from this show. Go ahead. Oh, what do you got? Can I, can I can I pick seventeen? Like, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't like possible to. I don't like three hour podcasts. Pick. I know, I know. Let's do porch, including the speech, present tense, including the dream speech, and not for you, and corduroy and hail hail and I don't know. Just take your pick. Yeah, it's it's tough to just pick one from this because there's lots of stuff that is just just on the money and even the beginning that we sort of in any other show the first three songs we would have spent so much more time on but if that crowd was just uh you know wasn't the way that they were we probably would have been like that's the best three starting songs that we've ever heard it was yeah. phenomenal but the crowd kind of put a spin on what that story was so yeah I thought Go was really, really good, and and I think Go could have been a top three moment, and maybe still should be. I I consider Rats to be like I just like the idea that that you know we have a version of Jack playing Rats, and because it's so rare and so different, I just enjoyed something out of left field at the show. And there are a couple things out of left field, but that one, especially for you know podcast coverage wise, I, I really like that version of Rats. I'm going to go with that. I'm going to say porch. I think porch is extremely important. I think we hit on all the angles that, that we could with porch and, you know, the speech is, is, is iconic and uh, it, it can only happen during a song like porch. So it, it had to be that way. And, and you know what? Like I was kind of thinking long road could be it. I'm kind of thinking that, you know, river mirror had some good moments to it. Immortality had some moves. I never make yellow lead better top three moment. When you get lead better to close out a show like this, it, it just makes the whole thing special. It feels that every everything has more weight to it. And, um, you know, especially in this era where Ledbetter isn't a guarantee. And I think it's more of a guarantee thing now where the bread and butter happens and, and you don't even bat an eye and you don't even, you know, maybe the show might have called for an indifference closer or something, but you get Ledbetter anyway. You're like, OK, whatever. Uh, but Ledbetter is still considered to be pretty special at this time and i think that that adds to the error as well all right uh rating i don't think we're going to surprise a lot of people here 10 out of 10 10 out of 10 
top five, um, top ten show in their history. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. This was not an easy show to cover. It's one that you, and that's why I added a lot of what Patrick had to to bring to this because it's one that you just had to be there to understand the weight of everything that was going on, even like just outside of what the set list just, you know, again, he had mentioned that, you know, people were said that they got concussed at the show and, and, uh, everybody seems to have some sort of angle and some sort of story of where they were and either they were in the pit, maybe they got roughed up or had to get out somehow. Uh, but everybody seems to have a vivid memory, even 25 years later. And, uh, look, we, we could have done, we could have given this the PJ 20 treatment and had a bunch of people on and done a forum on their experiences. I probably can get about, you know, 15 people, uh, just blindly picking and they would all, I'm sure love to come on. Uh, we didn't do it this time around, but maybe this could be a future thing where if we think of a show on, on an anniversary and want to do that, sure. Uh, but yeah, there are no lack of stories that come from a show like this. Absolutely not. And then it, it goes up in the pantheon up very very high with uh especially that era like that era there's not a lot that beats that um you know uh, performance wise berlin is very very close uh soldier field from 1995 in my eyes i think soldier field is probably one of their best shows they've ever played um and even in 1998 i would put this ahead of the msg night two show Mm -hmm. And mm-hmm. that I, I I think to some people I, I know it's MSG and and people hold just the words the the letters MSG is held to such a high standard, uh, but I uh, yeah I, I think that this show might be more important and maybe better. That's just it's a hot take possibly, but uh, do do with it as you will. Okay, as uh, Ohana continues on, we continue on as well next week. I'm sure we will have some Ohana coverage for you. Sorry for the lack of it this week, but we have nothing to talk about because at this point, we had not heard what happened at either at any of the Ohana shows. So next week, we will cover, cover it in full detail, cover all the shows. Uh, I believe there will be another touring fan episode that's coming out after, after the show. So if you want to look out for that, those should be up and running on the live stream on Facebook. Uh, next week, I keep kind of forget. like I had been so primed on what we had been doing uh, since I had come back to the show, August and September, we're going to be a lot hitting a lot of heavy, heavy shows. And um, not to discredit what we're doing next week, but let's just say it doesn't quite hold a candle to a Randall's Island or a PJ 20 or a Philadelphia 2016. It's uh, I actually don't even know where it stands because I've never listened to this show before. We are going back to the hometown series and there is a little bit of a jump because we did the hometown series that we did last time was 2002. But the other Seattle shows that they really do before 2009 are uh, there's one that doesn't have a very good bootleg in 2004. That's kind of before the vote for for change stuff. And 2006, I don't think, you know, outside of Easy Street, which, you know, we can't do Easy Street because it, it, you know, we have to we have to find the uh, we have yeah, to yeah. find the originals for that. So this is they did the gorge so that's not really seattle that's not really hometown so we're jumping to ahead to the next key arena one which is 2009 and the beginning of the backspace era which is of course a 
a popular topic on this show. But uh, again, it's it's going through the lineage of what they were doing in their hometown, and we have a couple more episodes left to do on that. And uh, we did our best to go in chronological order, and I think the rest of them that we'll do, we'll do 2013 at and we'll do uh, we'll finish off in December and do 2018 the the first home show because we did the second home show, so we'll do the first home show from 2018 and how important that one was. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of debuts at that show, if I'm not mistaken. A lot of backspacer, early, early backspacer stuff, which, you know, from that album aspect, it probably, those songs probably don't get played a lot more than, than what was played that night. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And we're doing a little Key Arena miniseries here within the Seattle series. That's interesting. Yeah, kind of. It, that's the way it's sort of turning out to be. So, but also yeah. when you think of Seattle, that's, that's, that was, yeah. that was the spot when you, you know, get past, uh, 1993 and, and the early stuff. So, uh, that's, that's what we got to work with and we're excited to bring it to you guys. And it'll be a we'll different get to talk about Johnny guitar. If you've been waiting for us to talk about that for a long time, is Johnny guitar on the set list? I, I mean, I don't remember the last time we talked about Johnny guitar. I know we have, because we did the Hartford show from 2010. But yeah, it's uh, it's few and far between. All right, head uh, head on over to liveonfourlegs.com for more content and uh, keep listening to the podcast. Go back to the archive if you haven't listened to any of the older stuff. It's all good stuff. It's all there. We've done about, I mean, next week will be episode, official episode number 150. So there's there's stuff if you're if you're interested if you liked what we did today we cover it all the same way trying to look back trying to go through all the history so randall's island is in the books thank you all for listening remember to rate us over on apple and subscribe to all of or any of the podcast platforms that you listen to the show on this may be the end we're here but not for much longer although we may be part ways i miss you already i miss you always I'm looking forward to hearing what quote John will recite here. So I'm just going to let him do it, and I'll see you next time. No Jeremy at Ohana. We called it. It's about as perfect as a crowd as you can get. I, I hate to placate. I ain't placating. I tell you, we've had the best time in New York the last few days. Uh, I can guarantee you. I, can, I, I hesitate to make promises, but I, I think I can. It won't take so long to get back here next time. Well, I thought the idea, when I woke up this morning, I had this, this, this vivid dream that I had shared with the band, and I thought if we played, we just kept playing and playing, that people would just leave, would start leaving because of boredom. No, no, I thought this was good. I thought this was a good idea. They, you know, the traffic would have already started. It would make leaving a little smoother. Uh, and, and, I, and I thought we would just keep playing and playing until there was about six people left up in front. But you guys are just too tough. You beat us. Uh, thank you very, very much. Appreciate it. We'll see you again soon.
This is our goodbye.